Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. You know, not long ago, I was spending some time with my family, my three sons, and my wife, and everything was going great. My kids were getting along. That was great. I know that you don't struggle with this in your family, but my kids occasionally battle each other. They argue with each other. They compete against each other. They tattle on each other. But on this particular day, it was great. It's always fun when I get to be a parent and not a referee. All was right in the world until the mail arrived. So I sort through the junk and the bills, and there's a a personal card addressed to my three boys. It's from a family member, and inside was a note written to all of them, accompanied by some cold, hard cash. And so as soon as my kids saw the money, their eyes lit up, you know, money! You know, and now they're asking us to bring them to the store. Now they're talking about what they want to buy, and then they start arguing with each other. Well, you don't have enough money to buy the thing that you want to buy, and then they start accusing each other of owing each other money. And so now they're trying to accrue the debt so that they could buy the thing that they want. And it was amazing how fast the atmosphere shifted when the money arrived. Suddenly, no one was thankful. Suddenly, no one was content. The toy that was in their hand that they were playing with when the mail arrived suddenly wasn't good enough. They wanted something new, and they wanted it now. And if we're being honest, aren't we the exact same way? I mean, how many of us have so many things, so many blessings, and yet we look at what we have and think, it's not enough. I need something new, and I need it now. Why do we struggle so much with being thankful? Why is it so hard for us to be content? Today we jump into part one of a four-part series on gratitude that we're calling Thankful. And my hope is that over the course of the next four weeks, as we allow God's word to transform our hearts, that our constant desire for more would decrease and that our gratitude would increase, and that we could truly say that we are full of thanks. So to guide us today, we are going to spend the majority of our time in the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way over to Philippians. And I'm going to begin our time this morning with a verse that may be familiar to you, especially if you've been around the church for a little while. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and this is what it says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this verse before. Okay. I wonder how many of you have this tattooed somewhere. Uh, Athletes love this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is a really popular verse, even with people who might not even be connected with the church or, or know all that much about the Bible. Because on the surface, what this verse seems to be suggesting is that I'm in control and Jesus is my helper. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I got the lamp. Jesus is my genie. I can do all things. I can hit the game-winning shot. 
I could run a marathon. I could divorce my wife. I could choose my gender. I could do anything that I want, and Jesus is the one who's going to help me get there. But I think you have a sneaking suspicion that that's not really what this verse means. You see, you can, out of context, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. But with some context, we could truly understand what it means. So I prefer a different translation of this exact same verse. This is the New International Version. And Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Well, that begs a new question. What is the all this Paul is referring to? For that, we just need to jump back a couple of verses. Look at verse 11. Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, this verse isn't about just accomplishing your goals with the help of some Jesus magic. This verse is about contentment. You see, when Christ gives you strength, you could actually be content. Wouldn't you love to say this about your life, that I can be content in every and any situation? So, so who is this Paul who, who wrote this? Well, the Paul, or sometimes referred to as the Apostle Paul, was once a bitter enemy of Jesus until he experienced a dramatic conversion. And he transformed, he went from dedicating his life to stopping Christianity to dedicating his life to spreading Christianity. So he left his Jewish roots, the world he knew, the place where he was raised and educated, and set out for the non-Jewish world to tell others about this transforming power of the grace of Jesus Christ. And one of those places he went to was Philippi, Greece. Here he planted a church, the first ever Christian church in Europe. And how did it start? It started with a woman, a slave girl, and a jailer. So when Paul arrived in Philippi, he met a lady, and her whole entire family gave their lives to Christ. And then there was a little slave girl who was under some demonic power that people were profiting off of. And, and Paul freed this girl from slavery, and that got them upset. So they formed a mob and beat Paul and his friend within an inch of their lives, threw them in prison. Then God miraculously rescued them from prison, and the jailer in charge of watching them was about to commit suicide when Paul stepped in and said, no, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he gave his life, and his whole family gave his life. And just like that, you have a church. How hard could it be? <laughs> now you plant a church. You find a few messed up people transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? One of the many things that I love about the Bible is that it occurs in real places. Philippi, Greece. You know, there's other religious writings out there that claim to be on par with the Bible or even more authoritative that talk about people and places of which we have no historical record. Not so with the Bible. In fact, if you wanted today... You can catch a flight this afternoon from Ontario to Philippi, Greece. It'll take you about 23 hours to get there. It'll set you back about 1000 bucks. But by tomorrow, you could be standing in the place where Paul experienced all these things. And so the book of Philippians is Paul's letter to this church that started with a couple of people, and it grew and grew and grew in Philippi. 
And at the end of Philippians 4, Paul is kind of wrapping up his thoughts, and you'd think it would just be kind of a couple of salutations, but instead it's filled with beautiful truths about who God is and how that can impact our lives. And Paul said, listen, I found a secret. Let's reread his words. Verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. There is the ability to actually experience true contentment through the power of Jesus Christ working in you. So what exactly is contentment? What does it mean to be content? The textbook definition of the word content means uh, satisfied or peace of mind. The, the word that Paul used in the original language means sufficient or possessing enough. So I'd like to merge these two concepts and give you a definition of contentment that's my own. Hopefully this will be easy to remember. Here it is. Contentment means I have what I need, I'm where I should be, and my heart is at peace. Can we say that out loud together? Contentment means I have what I need, I'm where I should be, and my heart is at peace. Let's flesh these out a little bit, starting with the first part of that. I have what I need. Do you have all you need today? That starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with him, then you don't have all you need, because that's the number one need in life. Jesus himself said these words recorded in John chapter 7. So Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. See, one of the reasons why we experience so much discontent in our lives is we're trying to drink from places that do not satisfy. And Jesus' invitation is stop drinking of the cheap substitutes and place your faith in Jesus, believing that he's God in the flesh sent to save us from our sins. And when you do that, there is thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying water that will well up in your soul. This is the foundation of contentment. Without this, you'll never experience it. But this is also true that even if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you can still experience discontent. It turns out that that God-shaped hole in our hearts is much bigger than we realized. You see, contentment is not just a one-time decision to trust Jesus. It's a lifetime of decisions of trusting Jesus that he actually can meet all of our needs. If he met our greatest need, which is the forgiveness of our sins, then everything else is, is subsidiary to that. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 19 of Philippians 4. He said, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he can really meet all your needs? When you do, that's the beginning of contentment. I have all I need. Second part of that is I'm where I should be. One of the reasons why we feel discontent in life is because we simply aren't where God wants us to be. Sometimes this is a self-inflicted wound. Sometimes we, are, we get ourselves into relationships that don't honor Christ. That's not where God wants you to be. 
Sometimes we say yes to jobs that gets our priorities all out of whack. That's not where God wants you to be. Sometimes we get tangled up with a group of friends that is no good for us, not helping us grow. That's not where God wants you to be. How do you know where God wants you to be? One of the best indicators is to simply ask yourself, am I growing spiritually? I'm sure there's quite a few of you in the room that when you look back over the course of your life and you think about the seasons and times in which you grew the most spiritually, I'm willing to gamble and say those probably weren't the happiest of times. You see, we tend to judge that God wants me to be in a certain place based on our own happiness, but that's not always the best indicator. The best indicator is, yeah, this might be tough. This might not be the place that I'm choosing to be, but I just know that God's doing something in my heart. Think about how the church in Philippi started. It started with Paul and his friend being severely flogged and then thrown in prison. I've never experienced anything like this, but I'm sure that if I did, I would say if I reflect back on that time, I don't even want to think about it again. But yet, listen to Paul's words at the outset of Philippians 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day until now included getting beaten and locked up. And he says, I look back on those times with gratefulness because look at the amazing relationships that came out of that. The people who have turned their lives to Christ. And then what he says next is so critical. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This is why it's so critical to understand this when it comes to contentment. God wastes nothing. And so where he has you right now, it is possible for you to be content, whether in joy or in pain, whether in laughter or in tears. Now, without fail, whenever I say something like this, a person will raise an objection. Yeah, but what about an abusive relationship? If my, if my husband is, is, is hitting me, am I supposed to just stay in that relationship because that's what it means to be content? You know, if, if, if somebody's verbally assaulting me or some other form of abuse, do I just stay in that spot? Is that contentment? No. An abusive situation is not where God wants you to be. You've got to get out of that situation so that you can get to a place where you can experience where God wants you to be. Now, I'm willing to guess that the vast majority of us are not in abusive situations. But the reality for many of us is we have either chosen to not be where God wants us to be or deep down inside we don't really believe that where he has us right now is a place where he is forming something in us and that he's beginning a good work that he's going to carry out to completion. But when you can understand God has me right here, that's actually one of the key building blocks for contentment. I have what I need. I'm where I should be, and my heart is at peace. What is the status of your heart this morning? Are you at peace, or do you feel turmoil? Do you feel unrest, guilt, anxiety, all twisted up over unresolved conflict? According to Paul, it's possible for you to be contented with an, a sense of God's peace resting on your heart. Let's continue to read Philippians 4. This is verse 
6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. According to Paul, it's possible for you to experience a peace that does not make sense. Have you ever been in a situation where the most logical and most understandable response to your circumstances should have been you losing your mind, flipping out, coming completely unglued, and yet there was a peace that was guiding you? I've experienced this before. Before I moved out to California, my wife and I were in a season of mass uncertainty. The only thing we knew for certain was that God was calling us into our next season. And so we had a baby on the way. We had put our house up on the market, and I was applying for jobs all around the country. And I remember one day I was coming back from a job interview, and I'm just driving in my car, and I just sensed fear and anxiety welling up in my spirit. I was about to get on the runaway train of anxiety. Ever been there where your mind's going to every worst-case scenario? Uh, What if I can't sell the house? What if I don't get a job? What if I don't have a paycheck? What if I don't have health insurance for the birth of my child? And I'm starting to, to, to spiral like this. And then I just sensed this massive peace come over me as if God was standing in the way and saying, oh, no, you're not getting on this train. And I sensed God saying to me, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I experienced the very thing Paul talked about, a peace that transcends understanding. And I don't always get this right, but you know how I responded in this moment? I started laughing sitting alone in my car, laughing like a crazy person (laughs) because I just had this sense that God was going to to make something out of this. And what's interesting is how Paul worded this verse. He said, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. If I was writing this, I would have said, when you get your prayers answered, then you'll experience the peace of God. But Paul said it's when you make your requests known to him. You see, there's a peace that comes in saying, I can't shoulder this on my own, God. I'm giving this to you. And that's where contentment lies. I'm not the one in control. I can trust that Jesus is taking care of me. My heart is at peace. So in review, contentment means I have what I need, I'm where I should be, and my heart is at peace. If this is true, then the opposite is also true. That discontentment means I lack what I need, I'm where I should avoid, and my heart is at war. Now, I want to leave these two lists up on the screen here for just a moment. And I want you to look at both of those side by side. And I want you to ask yourself, which one of these lists best describes me? Do you have what you need, or do you lack what you need? Are you where you should be? Or are you where you should avoid? Is your heart at peace or is your heart at war? If you find that discontentment best describes you, we've got a little bit of work to do. And so in just the the few remaining moments, I want to give you a couple of practical questions that you can ask yourself to help push the needle on becoming more content in life. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the first question worth asking ourselves. Number one, do I have enough? Some of us may need to ask ourselves this question this week 
out loud several times, do I have enough? When you're on Amazon with a credit card in hand, ask yourself, do I have enough? When you're searching those job finding sites, ask yourself, do I have enough? When you're tempted to step out and do something that is wrong and sinful, ask yourself, do I have enough? Let's go back to Philippians 4, verse 11. Paul said, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Paul had to learn it. It, That means it doesn't come natural to us. And if Paul had to learn it, you and I have to learn it too. Contentment does not come natural to any of us. You know what does come natural? The bottomless pit of desire. I love how the writer of Proverbs says it in Proverbs 27.20. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. You know, one of the lies that we fall into about contentment is that I will be content after the next thing. I just got to get one more, then I'll be content. I just got to get around this corner. I just got to get in this relationship. I just got to finish this project. I just got to get this job. Then I'll be content. But the problem is the eyes of man are never satisfied. Now, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be gathered with friends and family around a table celebrating Thanksgiving. Now, it's a rule in church that you're not supposed to talk about food because then everybody stops thinking about the Lord and they start thinking about the lunch. But work with me here, okay? In just a couple of weeks, you're going to be, you're going to be eating a great Thanksgiving meal, all your favorite fixins, and some of you are going to eat and eat and eat and eat. And then you're going to say, I'm full, and then grandma's going to put six more scoops on your plate, and then you're going to eat some more. And then after that, you're going to say, I am never going to eat another meal for the rest of my life. And an hour later, you're forging around the kitchen, lifting up that tinfoil and getting it in. Right? You know that that was not your last meal. It wears off, right? And this is one of the great lies of contentment, that after the next thing, then I'll be satisfied. That's not how it works, because the eyes of man are never satisfied. Contentment is something that we have to learn. Listen again to Paul's words. He says, I know what it is to be in need, And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I bet a lot of you have more now than you did when you were younger. Some of you come out of really tough backgrounds. I know some of your stories. In fact, I know people personally in this church who have slept on park benches at nighttime and have eaten out of trash cans. But even if your story is not that extreme, I, I bet there's some of you in here who you might think, look back on really tight times. Maybe you had to ration bath water or sew your own clothes, or maybe you experienced a Christmas without presents. And for a lot of people, they say, you know, I look back on those times, and even though we didn't have much, we were happy. I was content. But there's a bit of a head fake here. We have to be careful that we don't confuse contentment with adjustment. See, for for a lot of us, when we didn't have much when we were younger, we simply adjusted. There weren't options. This was it. But what happened when you got a little more money? What happened when you got a little more authority? What happened when you got a little more 
opportunity? Did your contentment increase or decrease? See, the reality is that many of us were greedy when we didn't have much. It's just that we didn't have any options. But once you get options, what, is it, what happens to that greediness? It's still there. That's why when you see people who win the lottery, they, they tank their lives because the contentment wasn't there to begin with. But Paul, he said, yes, yeah, some of you have learned how to be content with a little, but have you learned how to be content with a lot? The principle here is the principle of enough. Paul understood both. He said, yeah, there's times where I was hungry, but I had enough. And there's times where I ate more than I needed. I had enough. There's times where the money was tight, but I had enough. There's times where there's seasons of abundance. I had enough. That is the secret. The secret is enough. And for us to move the needle a little bit on contentment in our lives, it's worth asking ourselves that question. Do I have enough? Honey, I need a new pair of shoes. You have a whole closet full of shoes. Yeah, but I need black shoes. Again, you have a closet full of black shoes. Yeah, but I need black shoes with a strap. You have black shoes with a strap. Yeah, but those are high heels. I need flat black shoes with a strap. You have flat black shoes with a strap. Yeah, but those are like a year old. Do I have enough? But this TV is 12 inches larger. And it's 8K, not just 4K. And here's the best part. It's $500 off. I mean, it costs $8,000, but it's $500 off. Hey, 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 hey. Do I have enough? Hey, the new iPhone's coming out. The iPhone 27. How am I supposed to live with this historical relic known as the iPhone 26? I got to get the 27. Hey, do I have enough? Now, listen, there's... There's nothing wrong if, if, if you're going to want more or you want to increase your need or increase your wants. That's not the point here. The point here is, is not falling into the trap of believing that when you get it, that's enough. That when I get it, then I'm content. It starts with saying, maybe I'll be more content if I just realize I already have enough. That's the first question worth asking ourselves. Number one, do I have enough? Here's the second question. Have I done my part? Another way to ask this is, am I being faithful to Jesus right here, right now? There's lots of things I can't control, but there's a few things I can control. And my spiritual life and my contentment is one of them. That's doing my part. You see, another trap that we fall into when it comes to contentment is believing that contentment is external, not internal. That in order for me to feel content, I've got to have a change of location. I need to have a different job or change schools or change relationships. I need to move to another zip code. Then I'll experience contentment. Friends, it doesn't work that way. Contentment is not external. It's internal. As the old adage goes, it doesn't matter how far you run away because you're still there. Contentment cannot be left in the hands of another. I need to do my part. Again, Paul's words, Philippians 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says that our responsibility is to put into practice these these intentional ways of thinking and doing my part, and that's how we experience the God of peace. And so some related questions uh, worth asking are, am I pursuing purity in my relationships right now? Am I engaging in Christian community right now? Am I serving Jesus right now? Am I sharing the gospel right now? Am I taking advantage of the opportunities God has given me right now? Or is my mind constantly transfixed on something or somewhere else? Have I done my part? You know, uh, our, our director of kids ministry had a great story that helps illustrate this. Last Sunday, we had this massive outreach to the community where we were giving lots of free candy to kids. And there was this little girl who was just jamming candy down her mouth and started to get sick and came up to her mom and said, I don't feel well. Blah! Vomits right there. Everybody recoils in disgust when it happens. So what do you think she did after she threw up? Ate some more candy! (laughs) I feel great! And isn't this a picture of discontent? We have a sickness in us, and we know what we need to do. We need to stop eating the candy. But yet, what do we do? We keep feeding the sickness. And we get stuck in this doom loop of discontent. And there comes a point in time where we have to say, am I running from what God wants me to do? Am I doing my part? Asking yourself that question and and really getting to the place of saying, God has me right here right now. Hey, maybe I'm going to pray, God, don't just change my circumstances, change me in the circumstances. Let me do my part so that I can learn contentment. So the first question is, do I have enough? Second question, have I done my part? Here's the third question. Am I giving praise? I want you to think about your prayer life, assuming you have one. Reflect on your prayer times is the majority of your time praying spent asking God for things? Do you realize that you could actually fuel discontent in your life based on the way that you pray? Because if you aren't thanking God for what he's already given you, you're just going to be focused on the next thing. Again, let's go back to Paul's words in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's when the peace comes in. It's, it's giving God some praise. There's an old saying, a river crossed, bridge forgotten. That as soon as God blesses us, we just go across and we don't think about what he's done for us. And it's important to develop contentment in your life to make sure that you are giving praise to the things God's already done for you. I'll never forget the first time I flew first class. I thought, this is amazing. The food, the leg room, the comfort. I could never fly coach ever again. I remember the first time I flew coach. I thought, this is amazing. I'm flying over clouds and mountains and entire states. I'll never drive ever again. I remember the first time I drove. Look at me behind the wheel. This is amazing. 
I'll never take the bus ever again. I remember the first time I took the bus. I thought, this is, this is amazing. Look how fast I'm getting across town. I'll never ride my bike ever again. I remember the first time I rode my bike. Look at me. I'll never walk again. I remember the first time I walked. So I'll never crawl ever again. I remember the first time I crawled. I have an amazing memory. <laughs> this is what discontent is like. We take for granted the blessings that God has in our lives right now. And we're just focusing on the next thing. Instead of just being on the bike and saying, thank you, God, for this bike, I'm thinking, yeah, but what would be better? A bus. Okay, thank you, God, for me being on the bus, but, but what would be better? And, and for so many of us, we're just thinking about next, we're thinking about better, and we're missing the fact that God has given us so many good things already. You know, the, the book of Psalms is a collection of prayers written by David and, and some others. And what's interesting is that the word praise is used over 180 times in the book of Psalms alone. I find it interesting that a book of prayers spends more time praising God than making requests. I want to read just one of them to you. Psalm 30, verse 3. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I want you to think about the situation you're in now. And try to reflect back. Has there ever been a time in my life where I experienced something similar? How did God come through for you then? If he did it before, he can do it again. Let's give him some praise. <clears throat> Has God brought you up out of the pit? Is there anybody here who God brought you up out of a dying situation? Your heart was growing cold. Your circumstances were drying up. Has anybody ever endured through the dark night of the soul and experienced joy in the morning? Give God some praise. That's part of contentment. Contentment is this. I have what I need, I'm where I should be, and my heart is at peace. Do you have what you need this morning? That starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Apart from that, you will never experience true contentment. Are you where you should be? Are you trusting Jesus in the spot you are right now? Or maybe you've never trusted him before ever. And is your heart at peace? You can never entertain your way to peace in the heart. You can't buy your way toward peace in the heart. You can't eat your way. You can't travel your way. You can't work your way toward peace. That only comes when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Have you ever done that? I'm not talking about believing there is a God. I'm talking about intentionally saying to Jesus, I give you my life. I trust it in your hands. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm standing before you to tell you, you will never find true commitment. The invitation Jesus made back then still stands today. John 7, 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
do you want to experience that living water found only through faith in Jesus Christ? If you've never invited Christ into your life, I want to help you do that right now. In just a moment, I want to lead you in a simple prayer that you could repeat after me in the silence of your heart. It's just a prayer of admitting our sins, believing in faith that Jesus died on the cross, and committing to following him. I'll give you some words to pray, but you've got to believe them in faith. So if you've never intentionally invited Jesus into your life, let's do that right now. I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads. Online campus, this goes for you as well. And if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, then I want you to pray in the silence of your heart. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my life. You lift those words straight up to heaven. Jesus, I give you my life. I have sinned against you. And I am guilty. Will you forgive me, Jesus? I believe you died on a cross for my sins. And today I place my faith in you. Will you cleanse me? Will you change me? Will you give me a new heart so that I could follow you? In Jesus' name I ask, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, Jesus says that you've crossed the line of faith. You've crossed from death to life. Let us help you. On the program that you received when you came in is just a simple little perforated card at the bottom. You could just rip that off. And there's a little section on the bottom that says, I said yes. I want to encourage you to fill that out. And in just a second, the offering bags are going to come through. You could just drop that right in the bag and we'll get a hold of that and we'll help you get going. Maybe you have already prayed to receive Jesus, but you don't know how to take your next step. I was just talking to a woman last hour who was asking me about how to join small groups. Here's how you could do it. Two simple ways. One, you could pull out your phone right now and text the word NEXT to 909-281-7797. That'll ping our staff and we'll engage in a dialogue with you. Or for those of you right here in the room, we have a next step table outside. There's people there waiting to have a conversation with you to help point you in the, in, in the right direction for your next step. Joining a small group, serving, finding someone to talk to, you just need some assistance, whatever. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797 or stop by the next step table. Friends, we're right here at the start of the holiday season. Before you know it, you'll be making preparations for family members coming into town. You'll be knee-deep in Christmas shopping lists. And you'll be carrying the pressure to make this year the best ever. Contentment is possible. Biblical contentment, it's just better. Who doesn't want to be satisfied? Who doesn't want to be confident in the Lord? Who doesn't want to be at peace? Biblical contentment is just better. And so this week, let's ask ourselves these questions. The first one is this. Do I have enough? Or am I constantly thinking the next thing will bring me contentment? Have I done my part? What's God asking me to do right now instead of leaving contentment in the hands of another? And am I giving praise? Are you thanking Jesus for what he's already given you as you ask him for what's next? Contentment means I have what I need, I'm where I should be, and my heart is at peace. This isn't just a dream. This is possible. How is it possible? I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength.
You believe it? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we confess to you that we, we get this wrong all the time. When, when we think that there's other things that are going to fill us. Lord, help us to find true contentment. Not in an abundance of possessions. Not in fame. Not in authority. But Lord, in you. God, I pray for all who today trusted Christ for the first time. I pray that today their journey of contentment truly begins. And may this be one stop along many where they're experiencing that you will meet all our needs according to your riches and glory. And God, as we prepare to take an offering, may we do so with with cheerful hearts, understanding that our, our finances are gifts from you. May we manage them well by putting you first in our giving. Lord, we thank you for loving us, for not leaving us, and for giving us all that we need through Christ Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray and let the church say, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.